Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. There's no place to escape to. This is the last time. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. Drive the wind chills up where he can see. Oh, where is your mommy? Goo goo gaga. Very creative. So I, I take it you saw the movie Baby Driver and you adapted Holy Diver as the song. Yes. Okay. Yes. Very good, Ben. Thank, Thank you, you for explaining that to all of our listeners at it's, home. It's important that I guide them. Um, I will say that Baby right. Driver has made me drive much more aggressively, but better. Oh, right. Uh, no, terribly. Absolutely not. It's horrifying to drive with you. And it, speaking of horrifying, terrible. Baby Baby drivers, or at the very least, emotionally stunted drivers. Timothy McVeigh, we're on to Oklahoma City Part 3. Now, before we rejoin Timmy's adventure through the world of white supremacy. Now, is it going to be as cute as we thought? <laughs> Not cute at all? Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> we need to give a short history of some of the organizations McVeigh got involved with. Our aim over the next couple of episodes is to show the connections between Timothy McVeigh and some of these groups and individuals and just why none of them were ever convicted or even arrested for these connections. And that is because that the U.S. government was afraid to incite the coming rebellion of these brave soldiers of the Patriot Movement. I think the U.S. government was just waiting for their cholesterol to finally give them a heart attack <laughs> Well, I guess for the, their high, high uh, cholesterol. And I guess the war started when America allowed the country to be run on Duncan. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love Duncan. The funny thing is, is you're really not that far off. Now, the modern roots of these people begin with an organization called the Covenant, the Sword, and the Arm of the Lord, or CSA for short. I don't really understand how you can have, like, some badass, weird, like, Bavarian army name and then change it to a thing that sounds like a community-run grocery store. Yeah, it sounds like a bad (laughs) pharmacy. The CSA actually started off as a relatively peaceful but still super racist organization called Mm. Zarephath Horeb. Can it be a relatively peaceful racist organization? Yeah, there's plenty of lazy you shit racist around the country. Yeah. Around the world. My father's still alive. <laughs> he, was an NY, he was a very active racist with the NYPD. He was a lazy racist. <laughs> Pacifist racist. But in the late 70s, the rhetoric for the CSA turned apocalyptic when they started subscribing to the Christian identity movement and members started to believe that the only way to save the world was to kill every living Jew on earth. Ooh. Uh, good lord. Uh, for those that don't know, uh, Eric Rudolph, the Oklahoma, uh, the Atlantic, uh, the Olympic bombing in Atlanta in 1996, he was a member of this group, so they were very uh, influential. Mm-hmm. They're scum. Yes. <laughs> the Christian identity movement is an unsurprisingly anti-Semitic and racist brand of Christianity that believes that the lost tribes of Israel are actually European whites. It's a very interesting twist. <laughs> very, I'm like Shyamalan And the of them. Jews 
are actually the satanic offspring of Eve and the serpent. What? <laughs> I don't even want to get into this, but like Jewish, just Jesus was Jewish. Well, no. So Shut Jesus up, Kessel. How I dare you? Yeah, how dare it's you? Not, how dare you? Did you not notice all of those pictures in the church you went to growing up? He yeah, was white were, in every single one of those. <laughs> He well, like my Brad church did. actually, my church did a good middle ground. In a creative player, he's like a five. <laughs> <laughs> now, this whole idea survives to this day. The Christian identity movement still thrives in America. Some of the Christian identity groups currently operating are the Diving International Church of the Web out of Morton, <laughs> Illinois. Jesus Christ. The Yahushua Dual Seed Christian Identity Ministry in Livingston, Texas. Uh-huh. And Euro Folk Radio out of Chicago. Euro Folk Radio sounds like, like what the last of surviving members of Yola Tango like what kind of <laughs> band they would make nowadays. But now they actually, they 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 prefer to non-whites as the mud people. So yeah. we don't. No, no absolutely they not. They do. Well, they refer to non-white, non-Jews as mud people because the Jews came after the came after the garden because they are the offspring of Eve and Satan. Non-whites are the quote-unquote mud people that were created before Adam and Eve, the so-called first drafts of humanity. We don't say that. No, we don't no, say we that. Don't say that. So these we don't are say the, that. These are the horrible people that were influencing Timothy McVeigh throughout this time. Well, they weren't necessarily influencing Timothy McVeigh. They were in influencing the people that influence Timothy McVeigh because the Christian identity movement is very nebulous. It's mm. more of a thing that people subscribe to rather than there being like a Christian identity leader. There okay. were guys in the beginning that started this, but by the time Timothy McVeigh came around, this stuff was just sort of Bible truth to okay. a lot of yeah. white supremacist groups. This the Christian identity was boldedly to the modern white supremacist movement's John Lennon. <laughs> what do you mean? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> now, each group that subscribes to Christian identity kind of differ slightly on exactly how they believe the world will end, but most theories include a race war or a UN takeover of the United States backed by the Jewish cabal, which these, again. which these days is usually code-worded as globalists. Right, and G20 and all those sorts of events that happen on yeah, an international scale. But I did, one of my questions is, these are like fat local yokels. How did they think they would actually win said race war? Can you imagine? It's just a bunch. I mean, man, if all man, people of color come I mean, together, come on. they would pummel the living crap out of these people. Ben. Ben. Honestly, they believed that ideas would catch like a virus. That's what sort of the Turner Diaries came from. We I watched a documentary by the guy who wrote the Anarchist Cookbook, the same exact yes. thing. You start one little thing, and they figured the Turner Diaries basically says the steps for all of this is that once you start the race war, everyone in America is going to be so excited and relieved right. that finally it's begun. <laughs> They're going to follow these guys. Yes. Yeah. yeah. In uh, other words, they believe that eventually their ideas will be normalized. Okay. Well, and to some degree we see that I uh, mean, happening right now in this country. Yeah, so, we're okay. seeing a lot of this stuff. I mean, this whole like normalization of racism, this normalization of xenophobia. I mean, this is this was the plan right. all along. Interesting. Um, uh, Henry re- uh, referenced a documentary, American Terrorist. Check it out on Netflix, all about the guy who wrote the Anarchist, uh, Anarchist Cookbook. Absolutely fascinating. Now, of course, all this racist and anti-Semitic stuff, it goes hand in hand with extreme anti-government rhetoric. Every single one of these Christian identity assholes, they hate the government and they have a million conspiracies to go along with and it. And I'm fine with that too. I understand. I just came from Vermont and they hate the government, but the way they protest is by wearing hiking sandals and showing the world their toes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, one of the first men out of this movement to put all that rhetoric into practice was a man named Gordon Call. Mm. And I'll give you 
Three guesses as to how his revolution against the government went. He won. Eat at a Waffle House. You got to eat at a Waffle House, go do horrible things in the Waffle House bathroom, and then, I don't know, find a lot lizard. Killed in a violent shootout. Uh, he was. Fourth guess. <laughs> in 1983, Gordon Call, protesting taxes, was killed in a violent shootout with government agents just an hour and a half away from CSA headquarters. Now, you say protesting taxes, but what that actually means is that he just didn't fill out the paperwork for his taxes. He just didn't do taxes. This is exactly how he wanted to die, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all of these guys, that's what all of these guys want. I mean, they want to be a martyr. That's why all of these uh, cults, all of these like Christian identity places, that's why they're all so apocalyptic. They want to be special. They want to be a part of the end time. Also, right. they have a cool ending. Yeah. To have a cool story. Yeah, mm-hmm. because they're all searching for a story. That's why Timothy McVeigh is constantly, as we'll go through uh, in this episode and the next episode, Timothy McVeigh, he constantly references movies. He wanted to be a part of the Turner Diaries. These people are so desperate for some sort of meaning that they essentially put themselves into this story. Mm-hmm. Now, the extreme right, after Gordon called, now believed that the government was coming for each and every one of them, and the time had come to seriously arm themselves. And in order to arm themselves, they needed money. And what better way to get money fast and tax-free, Uh-oh. more importantly, than robbing banks? And all this criminal activity drew the attention of the FBI, which led to Operation Clean Sweep. On April 19th, 1985, 10 years to the day... Before Oklahoma City, federal agents raided the CSA compound on weapons charges. And when it was all said and done, the FBI said that that hall was among the largest stockpiles of weapons they had ever confiscated. Again, have a collection. Have a dabbling. Have a, have a sample plate of guns, yes. like a Derringer. You can <laughs> sure. even have many bows and arrows if you're Native American. Yeah, or yeah. anyone. Or Bo Jackson. Bo he Jackson. also has a lot of bows That's and arrows. Exercise. <laughs> Absolutely. You know what I mean? But just don't stockpile them. Now, the CSA also began their rhetoric because when they were just Zarephath Horeb, they were just a separatist movement. The whole idea was to create a whites-only group where they would go and they would worship a weird blonde version of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. that never existed. Even if Jesus never existed, the blonde one never existed, unless he got a permanent... And if he Maybe. did, if he yeah. did, that's a different story. But they go, they they were they shifted into the CSA when they created. The, basically, they did the same thing that Om Shinrikyo did, yeah. where they kicked in the new endings of the story, which mm-hmm. is there. There's going to be a race war, and yeah. we have to prepare for it because they're going to come for it. And every single time one of these compounds says that the government is going to come and destroy us, they set it up so that the government comes, comes and, and destroys, destroys it. Them. Mm-hmm. I do like Operation Clean Sweep because it sounds like a supermarket competitive game show, where it's like you. <laughs> got to get a lot of groceries and you got to get Pace Picante. That's your $50 winner. But it's just Mark but, Summers doing it in his own home because of his oh. horrible OCD. <laughs> I love Mark Summers, unwrapped and double dare fame. Uh, but it's also funny to me that these people are like whites only. Were there a bunch of people of color knocking on the doors trying to be a part of their Wanting to weird Appalachia, their shacks. There's another thing too. All of these guys live horribly. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's amazing No one's knocking live. down the doors to join. No. Well, Operation Clean Sweep could have easily turned into a bloodbath. Of course, there was a huge standoff, but the whole thing was negotiated by a man named Robert Millar, who is the founder and patriarch of a bizarre little community in eastern Oklahoma named Elohim City. It's disgusting. <laughs> there's there's weird footage of it where it shows them the CSA compound and then goes over to Elohim City and it shows like their training grounds and it's just <laughs> mud and like weird yeah. like dappled it's spruces. Mud. It's just mud. <laughs> Now, Elohim City is right on the Oklahoma-Arkansas state line and shares a county with towns like Chewy, Titanic, 
Peavine and Greasy Oklahoma. Okay, Greasy so, Oklahoma. <laughs> so it combines the worst parts of Oklahoma and Arkansas? Yes. Wow. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's Greasy to the uh, west and uh, the Ozarks to the east. Wow. <laughs> you know, good thing it was whites only because I, people were desperate to get there <laughs> until they found out. You got to go to Crisco, Tennessee. <laughs> That's where you got to go. Get all your lipids. In 1973, Robert Millar traveled to Oklahoma with around 18 followers to found Elohim City. Most of those 18 followers were directly related to Robert Millar by either birth or marriage. Mm. These guys lived a true white separatist lifestyle. They ran on sundial time, they followed the Hebrew calendar, and they used glass beads that they called glows for currency. You know for a fact they were trying to figure out what freaking time it was for like 30 minutes. He's like, can I just look at my watch? <laughs> no, All right, look at, no, I'm, no, gonna, I'm just going to look. It's a bubble did it. It's a brand new Casio. If a bird chirps three times, it could be one o'clock, or it could just be that the bird is hungry. Ah, damn it. It's 4.13. I just looked at my watch. Cheating. Hitler would take one look at fucking Elohim City. He's like, burn it down. Now, these guys, of course, they started with 18 people by, uh, in about, I don't know, within... 10, 20 years, they had a population of a little less than 100, so to go from 18 to 100 in just about 20 years, I mean, we're talking inbreeders and polygamists here. Uh, through yeah. and through. They, shared, yeah. they all shared a tooth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you should try my cousin Dolly, the best part about it, she's wide set. Yeah. So you can get three fathers in her at once. Yeah, I was actually going to recommend that you try her too. She's both of our cousins. <laughs> once again, <laughs> once again, friends, cousins, best friends, lovers, two gay men out here in the forest trying hey. to make a child with each other, even though it's impossible, even though I read a book somewhere, if you just love me hard enough, we could grow a baby inside of my belly. Do you ever think that we really made a mistake uh, isolating ourselves from the rest of the country and sort of like spewing hatred all over the place? Yes, I do. <laughs> Well, all these people, they lived at the behest of Robert Millar. For example, the church where they congregated every day was shaped like an igloo because Millar didn't like straight lines or right angles in his buildings. Him and Steve Jobs. <laughs> yeah, I guess not. <laughs> For almost 10 years, the Elohimites lived an extremely racist, idiotic, yet still peaceful life until Robert Millar attended the National Covenant Sword and Arm Convocation in nearby Bull Shoals Lake, Arkansas. Now, the Covenant Swords and the Arm of the Lord yeah. all mean, the reason why they changed their name is that the Covenant is the promise that they made to God mm. that they uh -huh. would keep, they would recreate white society and end white genocide. The sword was the instrument of God's justice, the idea that, that God was angry and looking to, for retribution against humankind. Sure. And the Arm of the Lord was they were the arm of the Lord. Mm. Oh, good. It's a, you know, it's interesting. White genocide, for those that don't know either, uh, either it's it's basically interracial uh, marriage. Uh, yeah, and, it's and, the thing that birth. makes our DNA stronger that's going to allow yeah, our fucking, exactly. uh, it's, it's evolution is what they're talking about. Well, that's right. a big thing about the Christian identity movement. And this is one of the ways that they kind of get around, like they're like, well, we ain't haters. We don't hate nobody. We just believe that everybody should be kept separate because right. they're, how they get around that is they say that mixing races makes both races weaker. Oh, interesting. It's, just, yeah. it's definitely <laughs> Time not true. and time again. Yeah, look at Steph. 
Steph Curry, Barack Obama. <laughs> yeah, oh, never. Oh. Well, at the CSA convocation, Millar met CSA founder James Ellison. And compared to Millar, Ellison was a hardcore motherfucker. He joined forces with another neo-Nazi group called The Order, who together waged what's known in white supremacist circles as the War of 84. And that involved bank robberies, firebombings, and straight-up assassinations. Domestic, these guys killed people. Domestic terrorism. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. They, these guys were proto-domestic terrorists. Yeah. Now, one former CSA member actually said, Millar taught CSA about God, and they taught Millar about guns, and then Jenny taught me how to dance, and I taught her how to dangle. Well, I don't enjoy your character maligning the great Forrest Gump, who would never be a racist. He loved all. Even though he was the ancestor, he, he was named after Nathan Bedford Forrest. Well, again, we should not be maligning the great memory of Forrest Gump, the man who gave us the smiley face T-shirt. Is he dead? I don't know what he's up to in the movie. Forrest I'm Gump. Not sure I, this what may be true doing. or not true, or completely false or totally. I I don't know. I believe he was killed by a giant monkey <laughs> at the end of the book. And, in Gump, and, no, because there was a sequel called Gump and Company, which I no, actually there was read. Not. Yes. There was actually a sequel called Gump and Company in which Forrest Gump, Raquel Welch, and a monkey went into space together. Yes, <laughs> I believe he was murdered in space by this monkey. Why we are scrapping this entire episode and we are just talking about this from no, now on? Was not murdered in space by the monkey. After they got back from the from space, Forrest Gump and the monkey went on a road trip together, a la Every Which Way But Loose. So you mean this is like the worst version of the Silmarillion? Do you remember that? Like it's like the <laughs> oh side stories God. from Lord of the Ring. Gump and his monkey. Oh, that's incredible. All right, we got to refocus. <laughs> well, after the CSA and Elohim City hooked up, Elohim City became a kind of spiritual refuge for a string of white supremacist criminals throughout the 80s and 90s. Elohim City is also the burial ground of a one Richard Wayne Snell. Now remember, mm. Elohim City technically is not a, a terrorist cell or a terrorist group. It was just a place where Robert Millar would just kind of cover his eyes and be like, anybody is free to live here as long as you're white and you believe in Christian identity and you're probably connected to one of these various hate groups. Well, mm-hmm. I, I would assume the FBI was monitoring this group fairly closely oh, under a terrorist uh, watch. We'll get into <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah, we'll get into uh, it. Next episode, we will get into that because they did have informants and then depends on whether or not you believe... Uh, Timothy McVeigh who was a weaponized member of the CIA on a deep covert mission. In order I don't to spark believe that. I'm just going to. I don't believe. If you sheep dipped, <laughs> so sheep dipped. Well, surprisingly, in the 80s, it was actually very difficult for the FBI to commit domestic surveillance. Uh, before 9/11, domestic surveillance was a very big no-no in the intel- the American intelligence community. Well, you look, yeah. co-intelpro and uh, programs like that, but mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah. we made it. We made it's it much easier now. and much easier yes. to do it because of that. Because when we allowed nine eleven to happen, the whole point was to create a mini military state. Well, we did not allow nine eleven to. Well, we, yes, we did. did. That's a whole yeah. other yes, thing. Oh, Go listen to nine eleven part yes. two for more information. Should have killed Osama bin Laden. Susan Rice told Bill Clinton not to. But we're not going to get into it. We're not going to get into it. Who's Susan Rice? The In Rice Su- sister. <laughs> We're not going to get into it. We're not going to get into that. National Security Advisor. We're not going to get into it. Now, in 1983, a CSA member named Richard Wayne Snell began plans to blow up the Mura building in Oklahoma City with a rocket launcher. It's so dumb. (laughs) Because they thought it was. I honestly believe blowing up the Mura building with a a Ryder truck, right? That was an idea that also was around. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, they thought it would be easier to just hand build a rocket launcher and shoot it because they couldn't get their hands on one. So the CSA said, we'll do it. It's like, we got the know how, we got the brain power, we got the boys. 
guys in the field that know how to do this. They tried to build a rocket launcher, uh-huh. killed two of them. Yeah. <laughs> it exploded <laughs> in their hands. They're fucking, these two are which way does a rocket go? It's, it's, well, I don't know. <laughs> it seems like a terror plot from Squ- uh, uh, SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> like, what are you working on? It's just rocket, uh, a, uh, just a, a stick person holding a rocket launcher with the building and just like little lines go into the Murrow building. It's just wild, fucking Wiley Coyote, John Candy. Yep. <laughs> No way it's not going to work. No way. And then after the rocket went off in their hands and killed two of them, they took that as a sign from God that the mirror building plan wasn't the best one. The, Thank so you. they abandoned that. The Darwin Award goes to. Yeah. Now, Snell was joined in these plans by a former Klansman named Lewis Beam. Now, Beam was one of the earliest proponents of a strategy called leaderless resistance. Same thing with the guy who wrote Anarchist Cookbook. The mm-hmm. kind of the idea is that just anybody's now a part of the revolution if they just say they are. It's an ISIS com- like a idea, too, where you basically well, you just pop up and it's little terrorist cells and you're all serving one gigantic concept. Well, ISIS has a very specific focus. With these people, they they speak with such broad strokes that it's a huge collective they can get. It's a well, big net. Well, they have a, a fairly specific po- focus. You know, it's like, of course, oh. it is the, I mean, the specific po- focus is the overthrow of the government. I mean, much like ISIS, yeah. the it, just like ISIS, the whole focus is the destruction of Western civilization. Uh, they pretty much, ISIS and these mm. white supremacist groups have pretty much the same goal. They would they, actually well, be friends. They would be very much <laughs> I do not think they'd be and, friends. But, and, you know, the views of Christianity uh, uh, in the extreme right and the Sharia law, a lot of similarities. Oh, in the yeah, it's almost like all terrorists are the fucking same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they don't believe that the U.S. government represents Western civilization properly. So that's what they – so it's like it's – ISIS? A, no, no, these, white, these white supremacists. Well, they believe yeah. that they was run by Jewish quote unquote cabals, and it's enforced by black people, and that they're they're trying to do white genocide. They're trying to get rid of the white race, which is like we're it's not well, true. It, it's they're not doing a good job of doing it themselves, blowing themselves up with a homemade rocket launcher. Yeah. Leaderless resistance, pretty much, it's small groups of people that are all invested in a cause, and they engage in terroristic acts of their own volition without taking orders from a higher power. And if they don't take orders from a higher power, uh, and if they're operating almost randomly, then that means that there's a much lower chance of them getting caught before mm. the entire operation is carried out. Like, you know, that's one of the reasons why a lot of these ISIS attacks have been so difficult to prevent is because there right. is no, these people aren't taking orders. Like Omar Mateen was not taking orders from anyone when he burst it, burst Pulse. into the uh, Pulse nightclub. He's just inspired. Yeah. And then all you have to yeah. do, it's like running a McDonald's franchise. And honestly, uh, it's just like it. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, they, they definitely franchise out their terrorism. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. That was a horrible tragedy at the Pulse nightclub. Of course it was. Now, Lewis Beam, the guy that came up with leaderless resistance, he runs free to this day. Because ideas are not illegal. Yes. Right. Oh, of course not. Uh, But in 1984... Wayne Snell did do something illegal. He was convicted and sentenced to death in Arkansas for the murder of a black state trooper as well as a pawnbroker whom Snell erroneously believed to be Jewish. Years later, Snell's execution date was set for... Wait for it. Uh-oh. April 19th, 1995. But wait a second. That's a crazy coincidence, Marcus. There's like <laughs> no way that that could have anything to do with the Oklahoma City bombing. Just because it's the same day, and it's the anniversary yeah. of Waco, and it's the anniversary of Patriot Day. It's Patriot Day, which is a celebration of the first shot of the fucking Revolutionary War, mm. which for some reason these fucking white idiots all think is the fucking, is there is a special holy day, yeah. even though it was all British people who did it in the first place. Just a coincidence, <laughs> I guess. It drives me nuts when you see these white 
supremacist, you know, like this person who wasn't Jewish, he thought was Jewish. It happens with Sikhs uh, on a regular basis. They mm-hmm. get called Muslim and things like that. It's like they're so they're so ignorant and stupid. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's infuriating. Now, Ten days before Wayne Snell's execution, he told a guard but that between that day and the day of his death, there would be hell to pay. Now, oh. how did Snell know this if he was on death row? Well, he and Louis Beam stayed close to the end. Also, he had just eaten a burrito bowl from Chipotle. <laughs> and he knew that there would be some hell to pay, but he met himself. And also, he just specifically just met his butt. Yes. <laughs> I did have a lot of Taco Bell today, so that reference hits close to home. We all had a lot of Taco Bell yeah. today. Now, three weeks before the bombing, Louis Beam gave Wayne Snell's wife a message to pass on that said, Armageddon is coming on the day of his death, Mrs. Snell. (laughs) So gross. Beam also told a career criminal named Robert Boyd that something big would happen in Oklahoma City, Denver, or Dallas on the anniversary of Waco. These were Mm. all cities that we know for a fact that McVeigh considered for the bombing. Hmm. Something big. Is Rush getting back together? Wow. <laughs> That'd be great. Now, when Boyd asked Beam what something big meant, Beam said it was going to be close to what Earl Turner pulled off in the Turner Diaries. Mm. And when Boyd asked who was going to play the part of Earl, Beam said, They've got some kid who's going to do something. And whatever it is, I'm sure it'll make a splat. <laughs> I'm enjoying the old-timey show, the showbiz uh, feel here. <laughs> Boy, the the Blanche Dubois? <laughs> well, I know. They got a home. Lordy, Lord, can you imagine how much hair yeah. you can get on the very top of a pin of a man's pin-headed shaped head? I'll tell you how much. Seven ounces. And it is a miracle to behold. <laughs> it is. Good brush cut. And it was said by one of Wayne Snell's guards that on the morning of his execution, Snell requested a television be brought into his cell. Snell turned on the news, and when he saw coverage of the bombing, it said that Snell smiled and chuckled to himself, wow. nodding his head in agreement. I always imagine it's the same like like smile and chuckle as when they tell them in the Folgers commercials that it's Folgers crystals and that normal <laughs> coffee. <laughs> 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 what are you? Oh, look at that. Well, <laughs> no idea. <huh>. Wow. <laughs> and after Snell was executed, his remains were taken to Elohim City by Robert Millar and buried there. When Robert Millar died, he was buried right next to Wayne Right Snell. on top of him. Face <laughs> to face. <laughs> dick to dick. I actually heard yeah. maybe possibly Is that 69 right? position. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I do love the idea of just like meaningless surprises. Mm-hmm. We're like, it's, it's that's margarine. That's not butter. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's technically it's a, oh. a bit of a left hook there. But yeah, it's like not, that's that's the noise you make when you really want to say, "Who gives a shit?" <laughs> but it is still kind of interesting. <laughs> gonna have to, I have no, to act uh, impressed here, but <laughs> I, but that is that's what he that was his reaction to the Murrow Building exploding. That's how crazy <laughs> this guy was. Huh. Oh, well, I'll tell you what, get the hell away from me. <laughs> Trying to watch television. <laughs> now we got one more thing to cover before we get back to McVeigh. In 1988, seven members of the Aryan Nations went on trial for sedition, but the people who testified were mostly former members who turned states' evidence, and so the jurors didn't find them credible. Mm. Also, the Aryan Nations was a group of. So you've heard the term Aryan Nations before, and that is the obvi- obviously the white power. 
that is obviously the white power gang you obviously you hear about in prison right. all the time. Yeah. Now, what they did is they did a prison outreach kind of program. With the idea is that they would go into prisons, people that were members of the Aryan Nations that were arrested would be in prison, basically saying, hey, if you join this gang, come join their leaderless revolution outside of prison when you get out, and we'll give you a job, we'll give you a place to stay. And, and it was a weird sort of rehab mm. program that just turned you into a soldier. Uh, and it was started by a guy named Gernt. Gernt? G-I-R-N-T was his uh, name, and he was also a part of a group called the Silver Shirts, which was a, an American Nazi group that started in the 1940s during World War II. This shit has been going on for a long time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And in fact, those people, weren't those the ones that built the uh, Nazi compound out here in California? Yes, there is a compound uh, like two or three hours north of L.A. that is a just a castle, and it's got a swastika in it, and they blew up most of the rest of it, but there's a it's all covered in ivy, and that was supposed to be Hitler's summer home when the Nazis won World War II. Oh, okay. Ugh. Well, after that sedition trial completely failed, all seven of those guys that were on trial were set free, but in their minds, the government had once again declared war. And so recruitment mm. began, and groups like the CSA and the contingent in Elohim City started looking for young men with military experience, specifically they were looking for men like Timothy McVeigh. It is so interesting. Ruby Ridge, the same situation. The man was found innocent. Uh, the main char- character, the main person involved in that story. Uh, these people were find- found innocent. The uh, the Bundy clan. Yeah. Uh, in, it, of, of recent, it, white people actually get off on this stuff. They, I mean, I, I mean, they don't get to actually found guilty. They were actually enjoying white privilege. The concept they of white were. privilege. They were enjoying it. They were getting it. They were getting complete passes. They still thought that they were being right. slighted because, again, they thought that they were disenfranchised and they were owed more. Yeah. They thought that they were they were worth more, and they would sh- get, should get more from the from the fucking United States government, which is just not how it goes. This is America. No. Everybody's exactly the same, unless you are O.J. Simpson. Everyone is exactly yeah, he's the, the same. only one that can get away. With yeah, it. he's the only one that can truly yeah. get away with it. But it's it's very interesting. And now so look at all the seeds. Right, now, this started in 1983. Wayne Snell had the idea to blow up the Murrah Building. They had set it up. They tried to do it once before, and they and they didn't. Now all of these different groups are coordinating and circling and trying to look for the right guy. It's it, you wonder so then you have Timothy McVeigh who shows up at the very end of all of this right. who says I was a loner and no one told me how to do anything this is the seed this is literally the string of events mm-hmm. my sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person it's Jackie Zabrowski she shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases I have no idea how she does it I don't know how she do it but guess what She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right? Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the Aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional and we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, 
You can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hi, did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. That's one of my favorite things about it. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Now, personally, I'm in the middle of re-landscaping my yard. I like to do it myself because I called up a landscaper to see how much it costs and it was absolutely insane. Plus, I love dirt. I love getting my hands in the dirt and I love planting things myself. And Fast Growing Trees has given me some wonderful plants that I can use. Like I got this uh, Texas sage, it's purple. I've dug up a whole bunch of horrible bushes and shrubs up in front of my window and in front of my house and put some purple Texas sage up there and it's going to thrive and it's going to look real good. And I didn't even have to go to a nursery to buy it. It came to my house. Now, this spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Now, let's get back to Timothy McVeigh. Yes. In February of 1993, right after McVeigh lost a thousand bucks betting on the ill-fated Buffalo Bills. Ah, we mentioned O.J. Simpson. He was a <laughs> Buffalo Bill. Yeah. yeah Buffalo Bill. Wow, they're kind of like America's cursed team. Yes. Yeah. They that's what be everyone in Buffalo te- believes, and uh, they would be accurate. <laughs> I feel like they should just shutter it. They yeah. should just close down the stadium and just... <laughs> the Buffalo win. Bills or shutter Buffalo, New York? Both. <laughs> Nice but they got bump. the wings. They got they, the wings, and they have a police station that's over uh, overcome by raccoons. <laughs> what? Yeah, they have, their police station has a massive raccoon problem. They're, yeah, it's kind of fun. Well, after that, Timothy left Pendleton, New York, and landed in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Ooh. There, while attending what else but a gun show, mm-hmm. McVeigh met 
Roger Moore, owner of the American Assault Company, nicknamed the Candy Store. That's so Ooh. cute. Mm-hmm. And Moore was one of the many strange minor players in the Oklahoma City saga, whom we will return to later. Um, while McVeigh was hanging out with Moore in Florida, the siege on the Branch Davidian compound began. And after mm. obsessing over the news for a few days, McVeigh decided to drive to Waco to witness all this shit firsthand. Hmm. So McVeigh drove to Waco and parked a few miles away on a hill in the closest spot the FBI would let the public get to the compound. You could barely see it off in the distance. I think it was, what, two or three miles away from the actual Waco compound? And this is where all the dipshits like McVeigh all sort of gathered. Right. And there, McVeigh set up a small shop of anti-government pamphlets and bumper stickers on the hood of his 1987 Geo Spectrum that he had dubbed the Road Warrior. See, I see if you have a Geo Spectrum, it should be more called the, the Road Warrior. <laughs> Warrior? Warrior. Warrior. The road warrior. It's going to break down. Perhaps it doesn't work very well. They're like, oh, no. Am I good enough for the other cars? Oh, no. The road warrior. You know, these events, Ruby Ridge, Waco, these are bug lights for these white supremacists. This is their, their, uh, you know, their Woodstock. It's very interesting what they're drawn to. I tell you, after spending the time we did in the UK... It's just so easy to get white people to group up. You just get a fiddle. Oh it's my! It's a fiddle and I some grilled meat. Honestly, we were in the UK and someone was playing a fiddle on the street, and then I looked down and I was dancing. <laughs> and I didn't even. My knees are going up past yes. my hips. There's something about a fiddle and white people. I don't. I didn't know I was moving. Oh yeah, you get a guy on a fiddle playing popcorn. Oh. I am gonna dance all night long. I couldn't stop moving. He does. A, you do dances called like the shaky knees. <laughs> like some of the cartoons. Toony skeletons dance to in old racist <laughs> yeah, cartoons. That's about right. You know what? I don't ever remember there being a skeleton in any old racist cartoon. Every old cartoon with a skeleton in it was nothing but joyful. <laughs> that's right. And we're all just skeletons. That's right. So think about that. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Out in Waco, McVeigh, of course, he wasn't the only nut back there. He was joined by Louis Bean. Now, we don't actually know if... Timothy McVeigh and Lewis Beam ever met, but we do know that McVeigh sure as hell followed Beam's strategies, well, specifically to, leaderless resistance. Well, I got to tell you something, boy. You got a tiny mouth and tiny eyes, and you got a head shaped like an almond, and I got to say, you yell with the best of them. <laughs> I like it here. So McVeigh left Waco after a couple days and went on the road selling the Turner Diaries and other survivalist gear at gun shows. Because remember, Waco, the siege lasted like two months. I do love the idea that it's like guns, knives, this is our book section. It's just the Turner (laughs) Diaries. There's more knives and guns over there. Oh, wait. I do have a one summer edition of Mad Magazine. You've got to laugh. You've got to laugh. <laughs> Timothy, B- Timothy McVeigh would attend 80 gun shows overall, spending his days talking to like-minded individuals and his nights listening to Patriot talk shows on his shortwave radio. These guys are so fucking boring. <laughs> it is very boring, yeah. Now, McVeigh eventually made his way to visit his old army buddy, Michael Fortier, in Kingman, Arizona, which would become a sort of touchstone location for Timothy McVeigh over the next couple of years. And of course, Fortier and McVeigh shared all the same dumb shit ideas they had in the army and 48 was still the same old fuck up he'd always been in Mm. fact it was 48 who introduced mcveigh to meth which 
Timothy used to fuel his frequent cross-country road trips. So how does that go when you introduce somebody to Beth, uh, meth? Be like, Timothy, this is my friend meth. Meth, this is Tim. Hey, buddy, yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> you like feeling like you're made out of bugs, like the Oogie Boogie Man from Nightmare Before Christmas, man? I'm your fucking ticket, dude. I do. Michael, thanks so much for introducing me to meth. Yeah, right? It's kind of fun. Let's get some potato chips, but first let's kill a police officer. <laughs> Cool friend. <laughs> now, in April of 1993, McVeigh headed east to Tulsa, where he attended Wannenmacher's world's largest gun and knife show, which still happens annually to this day. Hi again, I feel like we yeah. are we are poo-pooing gun and knife shows. They, but they are I would, fun. I would love to. I'm a total proponent of the Second Amendment. Yes, but you just have to be reasonable. Yes, of course, be reasonable. But I would love to get one of those guns you have to lay on your tummy and then you shoot. There you go, comedy bloggers. There you go, gatekeepers of Hollywood. Now, according to the website for the Wannenmacher World's Largest Gun and Knife Show, according to the rules, you can conceal and carry but you can't have a loaded gun. So if you're too afraid to walk from your car to the door of the convention center without a loaded gun, you can leave your ammo at the door of the guards. Okay, oh, okay, nice. let me check that gun. All right, you give me your ammo, okay. Now have your gun kiss my gun. <laughs> Very European. Like you do little like French kisses, <laughs> tapping the barrels. Yes. Now, the one mocker site says if all the 2,800 tables were stretched end to end, they would cover 5.7 miles. So if that's too much for you to walk. It definitely then, is oh for the majority God. of these members. Then you will be pleased to know you can rent a scooter for 65 bucks a day or $150 for all three days. If I wanted to be physical, I wouldn't need all these damn guns. <laughs> now here, and only for 15 bucks, yeah. you can rent my nephew scooter uh-huh. who will carry you back and forth across the aisles. I'll do I'll it. I love to carry on. That's what I live for. He's strong. I'll do it. <laughs> Man, your butt smells funny. <laughs> I like this kid. He's a funny talking oh, seat. He's a, oh, a seat I'm laughing. With, yeah, seat with personality. Now, gun shows weren't necessarily where McVeigh was radicalized, but they were certainly where his views were normalized. Solidified, yeah. Yeah, well, not all people at gun shows are racist white separatists. It's safe to say that gun shows are a place where racist white separatists feel comfortable. Sure. I mean, if you look at the pictures for these gun shows, and I've also been to a fair amount of these sorts of events myself, there is always a Nazi memorabilia p- a table, sometimes multiple Nazi memorabilia tables. And when they're selling that Nazi flag, right next to it is a KKK flag, right next to it is mm-hmm. a Confederate flag, and right next to that is a fucking American flag. And they are al- I guess they are allowed to sit and talk about their beliefs and the thing that they're interested in. Mm-hmm. That's kind of that's a part of what this country is about. You're of course. supposed to be able to sit and talk about it. But the problem, it's just, it is true. It does make these guys more brazen. Especially in this t- this environment, especially yeah. when you're literally going to places in a time period when the CSA and the Order and the Aryan Nations were actively recruiting people at gun shows, and this yeah. is what makes it, this is why it's so difficult for the FBI to tell when is someone actually going to go into the realm of reality, into action. Mm-hmm. It's really difficult to know the tipping point. Yeah, it really is. Now, places like Wannenmacher, McVeigh talked to other gun lovers about conspiracy theories, namely the conspiracy theory that the Jewish-backed UN was coming to take over the United States. Which is a little chestnut, you might remember, from our previous discussion about the Christian identity movement. One of the people McVeigh talked to about this at Wannenmacher was a gangly, buck-toothed German expat named Andreas Strassmeyer, a.k.a. 
Andy the German. They call me Andy the German because of my last name and my heritage and the ways that I walk. Uh, that makes sense, yeah. <laughs> it looks like I'm kicking, but you, I'm walking. You have, a, you have a bunch of sauerkraut on your face. Oh, your... no, that is not. That is his skin disease. <laughs> oh, man. Now, Strassmeyer was said to be the grandson of one of the earliest members of the Nazi party. He had a membership card number lower than even that of Hitler. Wow. Did they just go around smelling cards like that uh, Kids in the Hall sketch? <laughs> and Strassmeyer's father was a top aide to Helmut Kohl, who oversaw the reunification of East and West Germany. I thought Helmut Kohl like invented the, the sash or something. I thought he was like a fashion designer. A lot of fashion Maybe people I'm in a, the Nazi world. You know what? I might have been confused in my Kohl's here. I oh. might even be confused. Like Kohl from Kohl's. I might even be confused no, that's in my Helmut. I'm sure somebody on Twitter will call me an idiot and let me know about it. Good. Thank you, Twitter. Now, for his part, Strassmeyer was a former German army officer who first came to the U.S. to participate as a Civil War reenactor during the 125th anniversary of the Battle of Gettysburg. Hello, thank you for having me from all the way from Germany here in Virginia. And the first thing I have to say is, I know, you have too many artillerymen and too many generals and too many admirals and all sorts of people who are the high in the brass. But I am the first to volunteer. I will play a horse. Yeah. <laughs> Put me in a horse costume and you will see I am the most vigilant of horses. There's no Germans during the Civil War. No, I know. F- unless you count horses. There's many Bavarian clinkles. That's a type of horse. And Kronkles, That's a type of horse. And Rimples. That's a type of oh. horse. It's so cute. It's got big doll's eyes. But they all can only run for 50 feet. And it's made of cotton candy. It's actually... It's a candy. I like Rimples. <laughs> Ruffles, Fluffles, and Runkles are what I'm going to name my dogs. <laughs> now, after... Uh, uh, the Civil War reenactment was over. Andy stayed in the United States with hopes of getting work with the DEA because he had been in the Ger- German Special Forces. But, of course, all of his contacts fell through. Andy mm. then floated around the United States, staying on the couches of fellow Civil War reenactors, staying up all night painting toy soldiers. Come Nobody on. wanted him around. He was no. abrasive. He was condescending. He was clumsy. He was constantly breaking shit. And every time he broke something, he would just start screaming German swear words. Oh, inappropriate. Yes, but it's also he was supposed to be like uh, the heritage of the of Nazi Germany. You know what I mean? Like he's yeah. supposed to be. He like, was the only German they knew. <sighs> so he just paints toy figurines like Kevin Spacey in House of Cards. Yeah, and just bores the hell out of everyone. I'm just gonna say sometimes Civil War reenactors should use real bullets. <laughs> No, eventually, Strassmeyer was dumped off on Robert Millar in Elohim City, and Strassmeyer thought that he had found paradise. He lived off homemade bread, he hunted deer, and he ate all the expired almond butter he could stand, which was provided for some reason to Elohim City directly by the now-disgraced evangelist Tony Alamo, oh who was God. later convicted on child pornography charges. Yep. Many questions here. One. Why did Tony Alamo have so much expired almond butter? No idea. Two, why did Tony Alamo only give it directly to Elohim City? And three, was he giving it to more white separatist communities besides just Elohim City? Yeah, what about the... I want to... Quibono. Follow the almond butter. Follow the bad expired almond butter. What is What is even expired almond butter? I didn't even know they could be a thing. I didn't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't understand this whole almond thing. You can't milk them, but that's a whole other conversation. All things expire. No, it's not almond milk. It's almond butter. It's yeah, peanut butter made out of almonds. Oh... Yuck. Yeah. 
No, eventually, Strassmeyer appointed himself head of paramilitary training in Elohim City. And while the people coming in and out of Elohim City were hardcore criminals, the standing force was pretty much just a bunch of teenagers marching around with shitty guns trying to look important. Stand up tight. Stand up tight. Vice at, wipe the almond butter mustache off, all right? <laughs> what do you think this is? Oh, that's not, this is not almond butter. What's this? No, it's a... Is this deer shit? <laughs> no, I just... <laughs> Tell me, Corporal. Tell me, Corporal. Have you been eating deer shit? Nah, yeah. Nah, yes. I'm proud of you. A true survivalist will eat whatever is available. Yeah. These guys, I mean, even though it doesn't sound that impressive, they're still scary. You know, it's a bunch of guys with guns. They would definitely be able to do damage, and they would definitely murder all of us in any sort of fight. But we don't have enough guns. Exactly. We're going to go to a gun show. (laughs) This is how it starts. This is how it begins. Uh, but these guys were definitely not the type of people that would be able to overthrow the United States government. I no. just, I just, they were just goofy, and they were technically blowing off steam in a way. They were out way. there just kind of running weird exercises. But also, Strassmeyer talked a big game. When he showed up, he said he basically told them, I am working for the government. I'm a double agent. I'm working for you. I'm going to tell you what the government is. Meanwhile, he was also desperately still trying to work for the government. Mm-hmm. Because when yeah. he got to Elohim City, he told the DEA, I'll tell you everything that's going on in here. He was ready to sell them out for a second, but they wouldn't have him. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> no, so at Juan and Mocker, Strassmeyer bought McVeigh's Desert Storm uniform for $2 and sold McVeigh a knife. It's the best part about this uniform is I can cut off the sleeves and I can cut off the leg pants and I make a sort of romp him. I can Ooh. have a sort of lovely little bit of romp yeah, and I can dance on. It's good time for my knees. So I show my knees, my beautiful knees. I yeah. have the most beautiful knees outside of Germany. Look how old oh, they're like little rugged they're, little men. They're Faces. Sharp knees. Yeah. <laughs> the two bonded over Waco while having a nice day walking around the gun show together. They were on a date. <laughs> and at the end of the day, Strassmeyer gave McVeigh a card with the phone number and the address of Elohim City, even though Strassmeyer was only given the card by Millar to ensure that Strassmeyer didn't forget how to get back home at oh, the end of the Tim- day. Timothy got a phone number. He got a phone number. We, don't, we really don't know if Strassmeyer was looking to recruit or if he was just looking for a friend but it was probably both. Well apparently Strassmeyer was told he he was apparently given a number of cards after the first one mm-hmm. and he was he was looking for select people according to him which if you, if you pass muster uh-huh. with Strassmeyer oh, oh, oh you must be a true true member of the Patriot movement yeah. but it, I think now we're seeing this right Timmy the McVeigh probably spoke to Louis Beam. Right, yeah. he probably yeah. heard went by Lewis Beam's desk, right? Because one thing these guys are all good at for some reason is fucking networking. So he walked over with there themselves. with them, so with that yeah. group, right? They network because there's not that many of them, and they're all hanging out at the same places. Yes, and yelling at the same like five, three hundred pound men and one right. skinny, toothless woman. So now. He met Strassmeyer. These things are starting to come together. Because yeah. I bet you, Louis Beam, and people were talking about Elohim City this entire time. Mm-hmm. So now you have yeah. a guy that's essentially the Willy Wonka who's going to bring you into the chocolate factory. <laughs> I want. I can't stop thinking about this date they had, like sidewalks of New York. You know, their hands just like brush. They look at each other's eyes. And they flirt by like slamming each other's faces into the pizza they're eating. <laughs> you know, just They had 5.7 miles of gun tables to walk. Wow. It's so hard to open up. It's so hard to trust another because I've been hurt before. One time I dropped a bucket on my foot and it hurt so bad. And I was like, oof, bucket, I'll never trust anyone ever again. But then I meet you with a brush for a haircut and tiny mouth like a little slit caught inside of a pumpkin. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
says here, I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I, I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction. And it's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins. As soon as I wake up, and a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs, which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash LastPod. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports, and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. And isn't that what matters most? Better writing means a stronger impact. Grammarly works across 500,000 apps and websites. You can't escape it. Like the ever-pervasing octopus of malice that is the NSA. Grammarly is watching your every move, making sure that you're doing it right. Data privacy and security are woven into the foundation of Grammarly, into the very essence of its nature. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner, and it helps your team make their point and move faster, because that's the key there. Work smarter, not harder. Yes, Grammarly. You know how many times it saves me from writing a long, rambling, one-sentence email at 4 o'clock in the morning to my beloved employees? Makes me sound like someone who doesn't just have a BA in theater. All right, I was taught how to be a tree. I was not taught how to survive as an adult. All right, my job was to cry in front of a weird Southern man who just told me all sorts of weird stuff about my body. I didn't learn how to write. So thank you, Grammarly, because you're making me the boss I gotta be to motivate my team to get out there. Oh, man, you don't want to mess with them. Thanks, Grammarly. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free. Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors. It's a waste. Don't waste hours on apps. Besides appetizers, that's the kind of apps I like. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Did you know that empanadas already Spanish? I didn't. Thanks, Babbel. 
did you know that burrito is already Spanish? Wow. I just got to learn all the rest. And eventually, I'm going to be eating downtown Mexico. Thanks, Babbel. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at Babbel.com slash left. Get up to 60% off at Babbel.com slash left, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash L-E-F-T. Rules and restrictions may apply. Well, also at Wannenmacher, McVeigh hooked back up with Roger Moore, the gun store owner he'd met in Florida. Remember the candy store guy? Mm -hmm. The two shared a table over the weekend, and when it was all over, Moore invited McVeigh to visit his ranch in Arkansas, which Moore later came to regret. While they were there, they did a little light bartering, which was the whole style of the gun show culture. McVeigh traded his trusty white power shirt he'd gotten for free from his trial membership with the KKK for a smoke grenade and two 50-foot links of fuse. He got a grenade for a shirt? Uh, yeah, I gotta say. <laughs> a smoke in the, grenade. In the world's stupidest transaction, uh, Timothy McVeigh did a good job. Mm-hmm. He got more. It was, was a Canadian smoke grenade. Still counts. They have smoke there. (laughs) Technically, it's hickory. (laughs) After 10 days at Moore's Ranch, McVeigh moved on to Michigan to meet back up with his future convicted accomplice in the April 19th bombing, Terry Nichols. And here's just a little bit about Terry Nichols. This is... He was the type of guy who unironically called people sheeple in casual conversation. Oh, so our fan base. <laughs> yeah. As opposed to this man who was obviously such an independent thinker, he couldn't be convinced to do anything. <laughs> no, he described himself as a, quote, non-resident alien, non-foreigner, and stranger to the current state of the forum. Oh, God, What is, shut what up. is this current state of the forum? It's something dumb. <laughs> hey, Terry. Shut up. (laughs) I'll only do it because I choose to. (laughs) Terry, shut up. Okay, Terry. Now, when Nichols returned to the family farm in Michigan from his hardship discharge from the armory, he and his brother renounced their U.S. citizenship and decided the federal government had no authority, specifically mm. the authority to force Terry to pay his fucking child support this payments. It's weird because it seems like the government has a, that exact authority. <laughs> yeah, this is the strange Venn diagram of like uh, Timothy McVeigh and like the anti-war movement. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like he's, he's almost a hippie of the early '70s in some ways. It's really strange. In fact, when uh, Timothy McVeigh was on death row years later, he actually shared a cell block with Ted Kaczynski and really? Ted Kaczynski described Timothy McVeigh as liberal-minded. Oh my... <laughs> wow. Wow. Because they became friends. Yeah, of course, though. <laughs> Ted, poor... That's like where Ted shines, though. Yeah. I, I actually feel bad for the concrete <laughs> that has to be, like, between them as they speak. Well, think about this. The same thing with the Anarchist Cookbook, right? It was written for the leftist movement in the yeah. 1960s, but now it's used by the far right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And one court appearance, Terry Nichols sat at the door of the courtroom and shouted at the judge because Nichols believed that if he didn't enter the courtroom, then the judge had no jurisdiction over him and therefore couldn't make him do anything he didn't you want to do. You have no power over me, judge, out here. You're, you're wizard of law. <laughs> you can't come at me. Hey, I uh, pour salt around me. Hey, Terry, I'm the judge. <laughs> shut up. I'll do it because I say to myself, I'll do it. Terry, you shut up. Listen to the judge. I won't listen to the judge. We'll listen to yourself. 
yourself, Terry. Okay, let's shut up. There we go. The reason why Terry was in court that day was because he had ran up credit card debts of almost $26,000. And then when he got all the past due notices, he sent all those back to Chase Bank with the words dishonored with due cause handwritten on them. See, that's as good as money. (laughs) She is as stupid as Jim Carrey from Dumb and Dumber. He actually had the mentality of... That's as good as my that's, that's, a, that's a Lamborghini right there. You might right. want to hold on to that. Do you, I mean, did, did he get enough Marlboro Miles uh, that he bought with the credit card to get the jacket, though? That's I would I, have that's... gotten the raft, but I am afraid of rivers. And I would have gotten the jacket, but it's just warm where I am. I'm a sweater all the time. So instead, I'll give this to the credit card companies and we'll Mr. call it even. Mr. Nichols, before, uh, as the judge, before I tell you to shut up, I, I do have to ask, uh, how many cartons of cigarettes did you buy with $26,000? Oh, man, it's like Four. <laughs> shut up, Terry. <laughs> Terry, Terry, you shut up. All right, Terry. I guess we are incriminating ourselves. Yep, we're looking like a big old sack of idiots, you and me. Yep, Terry, that is true. Now, this whole scheme was under the direction of a local Michigan extremist preacher named Ralph Daigle, Ugh. who told Terry that since the banks were back, weren't backing up their cash with gold or silver, they were essentially defrauding people with every loan they made. And in fact, when Chase Bank came after Terry Nichols, Nichols argued in court that Chase actually owed him money and that they should immediately issue him 14,200 ounces of silver for fraud and misrepresentation. Oh, oh, that's great. Oh, wow. And what a deal. He needs to get that new skidoo. I'll <laughs> yeah. tell you that. I don't get these people. All these Federal Reserve people that say that paper money is worthless because they aren't backed by gold and silver. Money is worth something because we've all decided it is worth something, just no. like gold, gold and, and silver, silver is, are worth something exactly because we decided they were worth something. <laughs> the gold had no intrinsic value before the modern age of electronics. Gold was always just something that we decided that's worth something. We're going to use it for trade. It's shiny. It's shiny. It just looks good. We did. First of all, cash for gold. That is that is (laughs) just absolutely brilliant. Like, give us more cash, and we'll give you less gold. It's such a great money. It's such a great scheme. But when the gold, when the U.S. did change from the gold standard and go with the confidence-based economy we have now, it did. It was like extremely shocking to a lot of people. Yeah. But that's the thing. It was this was nine. This is the late eighties, yeah, early nineties. They've gotten yeah. over they, it by yeah, now. They had you time they to get used it. to the Technically, idea. Technically, that's, that's what Wizard of Oz was really about. Was about the Fed. Yes, it was. <laughs> that is I, I, truth. I could see that. That yeah. is the truth. Look that up. Wizard of the Oz. Me- Wizard of the Oz. Wizard of Oz. Wizard of the Oz. Wizard of Oz meaning it is about the silver standard because originally her shoes were not ruby; they were silver. Ooh. She followed the yellow brick road using. Silver, Silver shoes. shoes. <laughs> yeah. And so who's the Wicked Witch of the West? Oh, am I getting, am I getting a roped in? Am you, can't I getting hear, a, you can't see me do it, but I'm doing the fishing reel I'm getting hooked in right now. We got the hook set. The witch was the juice. <laughs> Shocking that these people might think that. Well, in other words, you know, McVeigh and Nichols, these guys are fucking peas in a pod. And the Nichols family farm was the perfect place for McVeigh to hang out for a while, especially since Michigan in the early 90s was to malicious what Seattle was to grunge. Tim, here's a cup of coffee. You yeah. enjoying it? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Well, tell me, uh, what if I told you mm-hmm. that it was not coffee at all? It's actually Folder's crystals. <laughs> St- stabs him 30 freaking times. Huh. 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 That's... Wow. Wow. <laughs> Shut up, Terry. <laughs> Only because you tell me to. I do listen to my family. <laughs> McVeigh's and, and McVeigh and Nichols became so close that Mara Faye, 
who you will remember was Nichols' mail-ordered bride, started getting jealous of their relationship. But that still didn't stop Marifay from having a brief affair with Timothy McVeigh the next year. I want to vomit in my mouth thinking about this. Just sleeping with him. Ugh. And he has his idea of, of, of him talking. To, we'll get to his flirting yeah. style yeah. in a minute. See, the longer that McVeigh and Nichols hung out, the more McVeigh realized he could get Nichols to do whatever he wanted him to do. Somebody was a cook. <laughs> a tiny little, little cook. What does the rooster say? Cuck, cuck? <laughs> An early 1993, under McVeigh's orders, Nichols took a 10-hour round trip Michigan to Pendleton, New York Drive to pick up a TV a baseball glove, some cooking utensils, and a bunch of sandbags. This it's is... kind of like the way what Little Mermaid collected. Oh. Essentially, he went to go get Ariel's collection and bring it back to fucking wherever they are. Yeah. And I... Nichols did it without question. This is like, uh, what was that, Making the Band? P. Diddy? He mm-hmm. made him walk over the Brooklyn Bridge and get him cheesecake. It's kind of like that. <laughs> bring me my damn cheesecake. Yeah, and it, it even went further than that. One day, McVeigh wanted to show Nichols what it had been like to get shot at during the Gulf War because Nichols had begged out on a hard Hardship discharge right before war was declared. This is the kind of thing that weird 12 year olds do. This, yeah. yeah. This is a bad day for Terry Nichols, yeah. I think. Yeah. McVeigh took Nichols out into a field, pointed a Ruger assault rifle at him, and said, When I count, you roll, and proceeded to pull the Old West make him dance routine on Terry Nichols. <laughs> dance, boy! You know, I'll only do it because I'm we... telling myself to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Terry, let's dance because he will kill you after he fucks our wife. No matter what, there's always one point where I actually don't hate the super villain that we're talking about. Yeah. And that's kind of fun. Yes. <laughs> to make Terry Nichols dance like you're yes. at a, uh, an old cowboy saloon. So a couple of weeks after McVeigh arrived in Michigan, the siege in Waco ended, as we all know, with the raid followed by the fire, which destroyed the compound and killed everyone inside. And all this shit happened on live television. Now, McVeigh watched it all happen at the Nichols family farm with, as Nichols said, tears in his eyes. And the last straw for Timothy McVeigh was when the ATF raised their agency's flag over the wreckage of the compound, which in hindsight probably was a little tacky. Probably a little tacky. A little misstep. It's like teabagging him. There was a... (laughs) It was, of course, after Waco that McVeigh decided that something had to be done. He just hadn't decided what or hadn't been told by someone else what that something was going to be. Yeah. Now, McVeigh continued on the gun show circuit, but the items he was selling and buying took on a different tone. He picked up his infamous Six Semper Tyrannus shirt and started selling other shirts with pictures of the Waco compound burning and the words Federal Bureau of Incineration printed underneath. The thing is, I would buy that. Yeah. It's just memes. He uh, just sold memes. He sold yeah. meme <laughs> shirts, yes. Yeah, and he also he sold ATF hats with bullet holes punching through the logo. And this is actually a pretty fucked up dangerous one. He handed out cards with the name and address of the FBI sniper who killed Vicky Weaver at Ruby Ridge. Oh, so this is 4chan. This yeah. is like the beginnings yeah. of 4chan. Holy shit, yeah. This Wow, this really is, yeah. Jesus. I also would never want to uh, do anything like home invade of a sniper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like really it seems like you're, you're like <laughs> and, super prepared for it because yeah. a sniper never sleeps in his own home. He no. sleeps a hundred yards from his actual bed, <laughs> yes. and, and always in a nest. Exactly. <laughs> but the one thing Timothy McVeigh sold more than anything else was copies of a video called Waco: The Big Lie, which essentially became McVeigh's new Turner Diary. Because all we know, what we know, is the big lie is the amount of chips they put in a Doritos bag. <laughs> oh, how yeah. much air are in these bags? Yep. Now the video itself is full of lies and. 
half-truths that bl- placed the blame for everything that happened in Waco solely on government agents. Yes, government agents mm. fucked up a lot. The FBI fucked up a ton and actually did some very mean-spirited, specifically harmful things to those people inside. But mm-hmm. the Branch Davidians also hold a lot of fucking responsibility. Absolutely. Or at the very least, David Koresh holds a lot of responsibility mm-hmm. for what oh, happened yes. there. And McVeigh didn't just keep all of this Waco talk to gun shows. In the summer of 1993, McVeigh took a security job in Kingman, Arizona, where Michael Fortier lived. And one night, McVeigh asked a coworker if he could show him something. The coworker said, sure, I don't give a shit. Just shut up. Yeah, all right, what <laughs> yeah. the fuck? Just get away from me, so yes. McVeigh went out to his car and brought back a TV and a VCR. <laughs> That's and pretty And set it all up wow. in their office so he could have a little screening of his Waco video. He's like and racist Bugs Bunny. <laughs> and wow. actually, McVeigh had actually asked his boss if it was okay for him to do that, and the boss was like, "No, absolutely not. Of not Tim. You can't take your, you can't bring your TV VCR in here and show people this stupid fucking Waco video." Wait, but McVeigh was such a rebel that he did it anyway. What? Like, I think you're losing sight of how amazing it is. VHS and TV. I might it's own one AV system. Squad. Yeah, it's one system. Now, McVeigh started being a pain in the ass in other ways too. He changed his outgoing machine message. Every week or so to him reading excerpts from Patrick Henry's writing, like give me liberty or give me death. Believe it or not, Tim (laughs) isn't at home. Leave a message at the beep. All the U.S. government's complicit in Waco, Texas, in murdering David Koresh. Tim also started writing letters to his sister, Jennifer, who at this point was spending her evenings doing naked jello wrestling outside Buffalo. That is a respectable job for anyone in Buffalo to have. I completely agree. And it's better. It's best to do it nude. Honestly, it's it's technically better than being a Buffalo Bill. Yeah, you actually can win at just a Jello wrestling. And these letters, they were nothing but bullshit. For example, in one letter, McVeigh claimed that he was a part of a CIA drug smuggling mission and had worked as a paid government assassin. And he told Jennifer to watch Lethal Weapon for more information on both. Sheep dipped. (laughs) This is where maybe he was sheep dipped by the CIA, which means that they got rid of his... Instead of being... Instead of failing his Green Beret test, is that he actually tested so well. And this is what they say. This is what conspiracy theorists believe. That he tested so well that he was put into an elite group of... Of people because his IQ was so high mm-hmm. that they put him in this group that they they basically got rid of all history of the rest of his service. They got rid of his social security number. They get rid of all of, all of yeah. that official business and they put him on covert ops that he went out there and he had to bomb a Federal Reserve building, any mm-hmm. sort of Fed building from the inside as a white supremacist in order to spark the war to knock out these far right groups. And why wouldn't the CAA recruit someone who looks like the racist uncle from Pete and Pete uh, if Pete <laughs> and Pete had a racist uncle? The thing was, Jennifer McVeigh believed all this shit because she thought that the only way her brother could have become so angry and so radicalized was if the government had done something to him personally to make him this way. She was six years younger than him. And this also, this kind of tells you, you know, the effect that this shit has on families because Jennifer McVeigh was six years younger than Timothy Mm. McVeigh. She looked up to him and she thought the only way her brother could have turned into this monster was if somebody had turned him into this monster, specifically someone like the government. So you're telling me, Timothy, Timothy McVeigh was so articulate and so con- had so much conviction, he was able, even able to convince a nude jello wrestler 
that he was former CIA <laughs> or with honest, the CIA. I thought that if you had a couple of ounces of Jello up your butthole and your and your pussy hole at any given time, that would make you less gullible. As <laughs> yeah, a you, would, you think I would it would make so. you kind of like weirdly more like wise. I agree. Well, McVeigh also started telling Jennifer he now considered himself an outlaw. This is what he wrote in one letter. In the past, you would see the news and see a bank robbery and judge him as a criminal. The Federal Reserve and the banks are the real criminals, so where's the crime in getting even? We're at war with the system. Make no mistake about it. We have to fund our war efforts with, sometimes, covert means. I mean, meanwhile, he's drinking a Slurpee, filling up his car at a gas station, driving on on roads that the taxpayers pay for. It's believed what Timothy McVeigh meant by covert was... Bank robbing. Yes. And in fact, in December of 1993, McVeigh gave Jennifer three $100 bills that he said came from a bank robbery he helped plan. And if McVeigh was involved with any bank robbery gang, it would have most likely been a group of dipshits named the Aryan Republican Army. Now, again, remember, this has been, this has been an idea that has been in white supremacist groups for a long time, using the bank robbery system in order to fund their uh, buying guns, their, their planning, buying food. Food, uh, getting toilet paper, but that's a luxury. Seems like they're just <laughs> eating expired almond butter. But. <laughs> now, the ARA was a bank robbery gang whose explicit purpose was to fund the revolutionary cause of white supremacy. Marcus, I'm going to have to stop you there uh-huh. because they call themselves the Aura. Oh, God, oh, really? God. Yep. The Aura? Yep. Aura? Oh. Yeah, like a scent. <laughs> like from a Glade plug-in. Now, the Aura... No, fuck them. It's the ARA. It's I'm the not ARA. Gonna, I'm not going to play their stupid fucking game here. I'm actually surprised. ARA sounds much more masculine and yeah, tough yes. than Aura. I don't know Aura. why they call them Aura sounds like a Disney princess. <laughs> yes, it does. Now, they were inspired by the 80s neo-Nazi bank robbery gang, The Order, who had named themselves after a terrorist cell in, what the fuck else, The Turner Diaries. Hmm. Now, in January of 1995, the core members of the ARA got drunk and filmed a recruitment video called The Aryan Republican Army Presents The Armed Struggle Underground. And it's stuff like, it's literally a guy with a a gas mask on going like, if you think you can hand yourself around a hand grenade, you better ask yourself double the question, can I handle myself around a hand grenade? You're, you're visibly I tell you, intoxicated. Yeah, you're fucking visibly I, intoxicated by looking at me, you fucking piece of shit. Yeah, what makes a snowman a man? Is it the carrot dick? <laughs> I'd say no, it's the white skin and white snow, except if you pee in it, then it becomes Asian. <laughs> I mean, the rhetoric. Visibly intoxicated. The rhetoric of this shit. I mean, it is scary. They do say some very scary shit, but really, it's like a campy ISIS recruitment video. Like, they all wear masks and talk tough, but the guy who speaks the most still calls himself Commander Pedro. Oh. Always with the shit. Same thing with, like, where when they call, like, Liberia and stuff, all those weird, like, Congo Army rebel guys were always named, like, Captain Superman and shit like that. <laughs> yeah, General Buck Naked. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Now, Commander Pedro's real name was Pete Langan, who, unbeknownst to his ultra-right-wing brethren, was privately a transsexual named Donna McClure, who dated a woman named Cheryl that she had met at a New Year's Eve church mixing. This is a television. Television show in the making. <laughs> I there love a, it. You are an Aryan bank robber uh-huh. that is a transsexual. It's incredible. So, so is, was there an operation? 
He was pre-op, but, no. but when he was finally arrested, uh, his toenails uh, and his fingernails were all painted, and all of the hair had been shaved from his body. He looked good. He looked pretty good. Yeah, when yeah. he had a wig With and dress on. When he, he was Donald oh, McClure. I see. So he did not have a vagina. It was not a woman that transitioned no. into a man. He just liked to dress. He was a cross-dresser. Oh, I He was actually on his way. He wanted to get the sex change operation. Oh, that was one man. of the reasons why he was right. He was like dog day afternoon. This is interesting. interesting. <laughs> That is interesting. <laughs> yeah, he was dog day afternoon in the whole thing, but he was doing that covertly. Yeah, you have to. Of Finkel course. Einhorn. <laughs> Einhorn is Finkel. Well, it's also possible that the ARA uh, and the entire Elohim City operation knew about the, his transsexual identity. Uh, which, but we'll talk about that on the day of the Oklahoma City bombing itself. This okay. is a phase. This is like when he went through his macrame phase. <laughs> uh-huh. It's a phase. Now, Langan's buddy in the ARA video was a man named Richard Guthrie. Guthrie was kicked out of the Navy in 1983 for painting a swastika on the side of a ship and for threatening his superior officers. It's just not a he, smart idea. He Bad tagged idea. a Navy ship with a swastika? swastika. Yeah. And a yeah. very bad. I saw a picture of it. It's a very badly drawn swastika, too. That's the <sighs> one thing that I kind of think. I think it's funny about white power movements is that a swastika is deceptively hard to do well. <laughs> yeah. And they never do it right. Oh, no. It, it always looks they, shitty. Unless they have, like, a stencil. But most of the time yeah. when you see, like, you can see, like, it, when someone tries to spray paint a swastika, a lot of times, like, they fuck up. Yeah. And they have to, like, kind of, like, exit out and, <laughs> and, and, like, cover it up and then try again. So you get the majority of flowers that yeah. you see. If you ever see a flower graffitied, it was a swastika they had to fix. <laughs> now, Langan reportedly described Richard Guthrie as a cross between Ted Bundy and Ted Kaczynski. Whoa. Double Ted's. What's that going to be like? Not handsome. <laughs> I don't know. Could be handsome. Ted Kaczynski ruins that DNA pool. <laughs> if Kaczynski would have cleaned up, uh, he would have looked okay. He looked okay. I mean, he oh, looked okay. he looked like a vaguely attractive mathematics professor. Like a skinny hmm. Randy Quaid. He did yeah, look a lot like did. When yeah. he was clean shaven, he did look like Randy Quaid. Now, between Langan, Guthrie, and a couple of other recruits, the ARA carried out 22 bank robbery jobs in two years, totaling a quarter of a million dollars in loot, with the media dubbing them the Midwest Bank Robbers. Jeez. Now, while there is no concrete evidence that the ARA and McVeigh were linked, they did travel the same gun show circuit and were all in Arizona in early 1995. If McVeigh was robbing banks with anyone, it was these guys. Now, McVeigh, he certainly got a hold of a wad of $100 bills in 1993 somehow, and I seriously doubt it was from selling Waco videos and goofy fucking bumper stickers for 50 cents each. He was involved with the ARA, and they were super uh, secretive about who was involved. And again, it was also very much, they did not use names. They would do shit like that, where they would meet up and they would have code names and separate. And a part of it was so that they could never link somebody, and you also, which just comes from the teachings of Lewis Beam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, around the same time that McVeigh might have been pulling bank jobs with the ARA, tragedy struck at the Nichols household. See, along with Mara Faye and Terry Nichols was Mara Faye's toddler son, Jason. Now, Jason was the product of a tryst that Mara Faye had with a boyfriend that she got between the time that Nichols met her and when he came back to pick her up to take her to Ooh. America. And that boyfriend's name was Jojo Angelito Florida. And technically he uh. is now the spokesperson for the American Papaya Company. <laughs> I like him. <laughs> So one day, according to the story, while McVeigh was staying at the Nichols house, Jason suffocated on a plastic bag he found in a big box of bananas that Terry had insisted be stored. 
in the toddler's room. Technically, it is an Aryan good luck charm <laughs> to put a bag of bananas in a child's room. No, not a bag of bananas. A bo- box. It's, a, it's box a box of bags of bananas. It's a box, a box of bags of bananas. <laughs> it's a, he why bought so many bananas why that so it necessitated bananas. a box, and each bad bunch of bananas was in because a plastic bag. There's not many white fruits. fruits. How, how there's not many white fruits. No, the flesh oh, of a banana is technically white. <laughs> how long does a banana last? What do you got? A week on a banana? In I don't know. 17 minutes. How many bananas <laughs> do you have to eat to facilitate <laughs> to need an entire box of a bag of bananas? Maybe all they were eating was bananas. That's disgusting. <laughs> now, the official line was that the death was accidental, but some speculate that it was possibly McVeigh himself who killed Jason to see if he had it in him to snuff out the life of a child. Although, this was a year and a half before the bombing, and McVeigh hadn't even seen the Mira building at this point. I think, mm. I think that's going to little bit too far by yes. saying that McVeigh because that's that's a theory of uh, Gumble who wrote Oklahoma City what the investigation missed and he de- I mean the book is absolutely fantastic and guys seriously the the story that we're telling here we're telling about a quarter of the full story of Timothy McVeigh and these white supremacist yeah. groups but still Gumble does make a couple of jumps well, here we haven't even gotten think... into big Chiquita bananas and how many <laughs> children have they killed follow the bananas follow the bananas <laughs> now I don't think that he did this. I honestly no, don't think that no, he tried to kill it so. because again, he killed the he killed the kids from far off. Yeah. He never expected to do this. Uh, to, he would never like, can murder it's, a child because that was not in his mo. Mm-hmm. That's not what he wanted to do. It's yeah. too dumb of a thing to plan. Yeah, like you know. Yeah. So in February of 1994, after this whole debacle, McVeigh returned to Kingman to visit Michael Fortier. There, the two decided to raid a local National Guard armory after hearing rumors that the New World Order was stockpiling weapons there, possibly the famed guillotine. But that is for ancient, that is for reptilian <laughs> magical rituals in order to open up the pyramids. Uh huh. Now, they of course found nothing there, and they ran away when they heard a truck coming. The guillotine thing is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It's People the, still talk about the government. Getting thousands of guillotines. They Why would they do it that way? FEMA death camp. Follow the guillotines. I don't. It takes you to the bananas, which takes you where? To the almond butter. Oh. <laughs> so the guys, of course, like a truck started coming and they scampered away, but on their way out, they did manage to steal an axe, a pick, and a shovel. So score one wow. for the revolution. Oh, wow. wow. No garden is safe. <laughs> <laughs> McVeigh and Fortier also, according to McVeigh, started playing around with explosives for the first time. The biggest thing they experimented with was a pipe bomb, which they used to try to blow up a big rock, but they only managed to move the thing a couple of inches. It is. They wanted to. They wanted to blow up a big rock. I had to look. Hey, hey, Tim, look, look. I put a little head on it. It's like a yarmulke on it. <laughs> now we can blow it up. Look, I put a little yarmulke on it. Isn't that fun? Shocking. Get out of there, Terry. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Shut up, Terry. <laughs> Shockingly stupid. And I've this... never heard of a dumber thing. Let's go blow up that rock. It's something you do when you're like 15. Like, I, I actually knew a kid in high school who had the anarchist cookbook, and he was... Blowing up rocks? He was oh, yeah. pretty good at building pipe bombs. Yeah, no, we, we used to blow, blow up, up televisions. With it. Yeah, blowing up a TV is fun. Yeah, yeah, we used to get old televisions and take them to a field, and we'd blow them up. That's mm-hmm. a good time. But you'd have the anarchist cookbook. I had it on a floppy All disk. you can get is more rocks if you blow up a rock. Interesting. Mul- wow. You're making rocks. Wow. You're just creating wow. more. Wow. Wow. Huh. Huh. Economy huh. Zara Van Kissel. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but this whole deba- or this whole thing of them blowing up rocks with pipe bombs and failing, by the way, this is a sticking point for a lot of people, me included. How did McVeigh go 
from barely being able to build a pipe bomb to constructing a complicated two-fuse, 7,000-pound truck bomb in just a little over a year. Practice, practice, practice. Carnegie Hall. (laughs) I mean, was McVeigh really that smart? (laughs) Bullshit. Uh, That's tough to say. (laughs) Or did he get help? Yep. So, as 1994 marched on, McVeigh started cutting ties to people he thought weren't dedicated enough to the cause. Here's an excerpt from a 23-page letter McVeigh wrote to his childhood friend, Steve. Again, if you do read the Turner Diaries, and I will not recommend that you do, but if you do, you realize that all of the tone, all of this tone, every single idea that he had is taken directly from Turner Diaries. He writes just like Earl Turner speaks in the book. Mm-hmm. I know in my heart that I am right in the struggle, Steve. I've come to peace with myself, my God, and my cause. Blood will flow in the streets, Steve. Good versus evil. Three men versus socialist wannabe slaves. Pray it is not your blood, my friend. I haven't uh, talked to you in 15 years, man. Yeah, I probably should have just... <laughs> I didn't have to write you off. No, not at all. 23 pages. <laughs> Seems like I kind of give you a warning. Of yeah, I got stuff kids and a do. family. And yeah, so. Can I... Disregard the letter. Thank you. And this is a letter that Timothy McVeigh wrote to a former romantic pursuit. Hey, gorgeous. Poof goes your head, I know. I could take a hint, but this is my address anyway. If you ever need anything, let me know. One, someone killed, blown up, etc. Two, a shoulder. Three, refuge. Four, Fertilization from good stock when the clock starts ticking. I'll always listen. Don't hesitate to drop me a line. People may change superficially, but not underneath. Remember that. Take care. Merry Christmas, Tim. So one was, I will blow people up for you. I'll kill you. And then two was just like, if you need to cry, (laughs) I'm just here for you. Very strange range of emotions between one and two. The idea of saying fertilization (laughs) from strong stock is such a dumb shit. Oh, Like, it's such this weird Aryan power thing. I don't understand it. When the clock starts ticking. So that's if if you haven't found good uh, Aryan stock... Right. Before then, menopause. If you need, yeah. if you just need a fucking handful of cum, then Timothy McVeigh is going to give you some. Because uh. I can give you at least a thimbleful. Oh, now my question good. is, is that does any woman of any stripe, racist or not, want to be speak to like this? I no. don't think so. It no. didn't work out for him. Absolutely not. So in the summer of 1994, McVeigh decided that he and Nichols should go into the gun show business together. But instead of selling guns, Tim's idea was that they could buy 50-pound bags of ammonium nitrate and sell smaller bags to explosives aficionados. I like that idea of calling terrorists just explosive aficionados. Yes, that's... (laughs) Well, it was, nice dumb it. Shit. it was just dumb shits at um, gun shows because there was, this, yeah. there was this rumor going around that the government was about to outlaw ammonium nitrate. Uh, so they bought up a whole bunch of it. And that's seriously what they did. These were just big bags of fertilizer that they bought at feed stores. And yeah. they put them into these smaller little canisters and try to sell them. In bags fact, of Terry, shit. And Terry, it's not bags. It's, it's, it's not all fertilizer. It's just shit. It's ammonium it's nitrate. Yeah. But uh, actually, it's very dangerous, by the way. Yeah. Terry Nichols actually uh, tried doing this at a gun show. No one bought it. And in fact, uh, one guy uh, that was interviewed said that Terry Nichols was the only dumbass he ever did see do it. It's because, <laughs> and also, the government was thinking about banning it because of idiots like Timothy McVeigh that were, who were using it for to weaponize yeah. it. And, yeah. th- and this was like this was their first big bulk ammonium nitrate purchase. This was their first big step towards the Oklahoma City bombing, whether they were getting help for it or not. This is like his version of Herbal Life. Yeah. Kind of a little Ponzi <laughs> scheme he wants to start. But what really put the plan 
plan into high gear for Timothy McVeigh was the 10-year assault rifle ban that President Clinton signed in September of 1994, which Nichols said McVeigh saw as the prophecy of the Turner Diaries coming true right before his eyes. And that is where we'll pick back up for the conclusion of Oklahoma City. Which has since expired. We have more guns than people in this country. Uh, Guns are not going anywhere. Yeah. Well, that is the greatest story ever told. (laughs) (laughs) And it's only halfway done. And there there are more characters that we're going to introduce on the next episode. We're going to introduce Dennis Mahon and Carol Howe. Uh, I love Carol Howe. John Doe number two. I mean, we've got... There's uh, this That's story. Actually, is my just my name started. is actually John Doe number two. My father was John Doe number one. His father was just John Doe. Call me JD Dose. <laughs> um, thank you all so much for listening. We apologize. It's been a little bit of a of a lengthy wait here, but we got a lot of been. stuff happening. So thank you all yeah. so much for sticking with us. Yeah, we moved we moved studios. We had to kind of reset from a uh, film and pretty face. Uh, we're in Los Angeles this week. We're yeah. in my office. We're, that we've I've, turned yes. into a new recording studio. I'm, I'm staring we, at, a de- uh, at a detective popcorn right now yeah we built we actually built a west coast studio uh, yeah. so we can make sure to bring you guys uh, so we made sure to get you guys uh, an episode as soon as we possibly could we really uh, have been really busy here but we got here as soon as we could and we really appreciate everyone's patience uh, and waiting yes. for the next episode and next episode's gonna be so thick hot and ready we're gonna slide it down your throat I think you're not you selling know. it you're not selling it Sorry. Marcus don't encourage oh. this kind of, alright Thank you all so much. Uh, let's see. Anything to talk about? we got the Patreon. We have Milwaukee coming up this weekend, so we got, we'll see you all there. Yeah, we got Milwaukee this weekend. We got Nashville the weekend after that, and we got Montreal the weekend after that. We're going to be Buy those tickets. We need you to buy those tickets yes. to Montreal because yeah. we have to talk to these these industry Ugh. people. You, these are the people that molested Elijah Wood into yeah. the actor that he is today, mm-hmm. and we need to be there and show them we have a mandate. And molested that Corey into the grave. Uh, uh, Corey Ham. Yeah. But look how good Corey Feldman's doing. See, yeah. um, after he got paid off. Paid off. That's I don't know why we're deciding to end the show like that. <laughs> um, but yes, come out to Montreal. That's going to be a great show. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. And, and it's at 3 p.m. And who doesn't love to watch a show at 3 p.m.? Everybody does. <laughs> uh, and we've got a bunch of, we got, we're coming to Vancouver, we're coming to Calgary, we're coming to Omaha, we're coming to Pittsburgh. Uh, you can find uh, ticket links to all those shows uh, at lastpodcastontheleft.com. That is also the, the, a great announcement, Marcus. We have a new website called lastpodcastontheleft.com for all your Last Podcast on the Left needs. It's on lastpodcastontheleft.com. LastPodcastOnLeft.com? LastPodcastOnLeft.com. Yeah, I was just on the internet the other day. I was just kind of perusing, you know, like, you know, YouTube and CNN. And then I found LastPodcastOnLeft.com. Yeah. And it, what's changed since? My boyfriend left me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, if, thanks, everyone, uh, for uh, all you've given us on Patreon. Uh, if you want to give to our Patreon, go to patreon.com uh, slash LastPodcastOnTheLeft. Uh, just a dollar or more gets yep. you uh, pre-sale tickets to all of our upcoming shows, or at least as many as we can give you. If we're part of a festival, we can't really do it then. But yeah. any other show uh we absolutely can unfortunately we can't do shout outs this week because we're in los angeles and we don't have travis to print them out for us like Yo, he usually does we miss you travis <laughs> we miss you travis uh, yeah you can find marcus parks on twitter marcus parks instagram marcus parks henry loves you on twitter and dr fantasty on instagram i'm ben kissel and ben kissel one on instagram ben kissel on twitter and follow last podcast left on all of it at lp on the left that's it i think that's basically it shirts merchandise products yeah. keep on supporting all the shows here on ccr everything political Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, uh, Wizard and the Bruiser, uh, Movie Signs with the Mads, uh, Page Seven. Page seven. Yes, we Sex got and the Human Activity. And, yep. We got some great stuff happening here and uh, some big news coming up. Well, yeah. Hell yeah. Hail, Hail Satan, news. everyone. Hail yourselves. Hail Gene. Hail me. 
a magustulation. It's a California. Fluffy bread, fresh tortillas, classic burger buns, and so many carbs. Carb fear is real, but Hero Bread makes healthier versions of the carb-heavy favorites we love the most. We're talking fewer calories, zero to two grams net carbs, zero grams of sugar, and seriously great taste. Plus more of the dietary fiber and protein you want. No compromise. Don't skip out on your favorites. Just use Hero Bread. Get 10% off your order at Hero.co with code Hero10 at checkout. That's Hero10 at H-E-R-O dot C-O.